Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn? And when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Mike Bear, our Coach Mike, as he is commonly called, is not your typical personal development coach. Far from it. With over 40, yes, 40 appearances on Dr. Phil, his New York Times bestselling book, Best Self, and his just-released book, One Decision, Coach Mike, he brings this realness, this emotion, this, yes, buzzword, authenticity to the work that he does. And he's made it his life's work to help people find their true self, or more precisely, their best self. Today, he shares how he found his best self by helping others find theirs. He vulnerably shares what it was like to grow up and not be able to be himself, which led to a drug addiction as a young man. And we learn how this paved the way for him ultimately becoming sober and then having a career as a counselor, an interventionist, and even helping celebrities and pop stars navigate their way through rocky relationships. This was a great conversation and he shares insights from his book, how he approaches coaching, and how he's able to help people get clarity on their purpose so that they're able to lead the life they're meant to live. I'm excited for this one, so let's jump in to the conversation. Mike, thanks for being on Inside Out. Thanks for having me, Billy. I'm excited. Well, to get started, I hope you don't mind, but I brought a truck full of corn nuts. I have some being delivered to your house right now. So can we start off by just eating some corn nuts? Oh my gosh. How'd you know I love corn nuts so much? Oh man. Well, I, like you, just assumed that a corn nut was a nut. And when I listened to your recent podcast, I was dying when you had that epiphany about just that you're eating these popped corn that have been marketed as corn nuts, which is yeah. all too common. That we- I mean, isn't that everything in life? You think something's really good for you and then it turns out that it's not. It's just so many aspects of life like that, you know? It's so true, man. And I got to applaud you. I just finished One Decision and loved it and read Best Self before that. So 
I mean, your story is fascinating. You're obviously, you know, you're a life coach. You've been an interventionist, a counselor, owned a rehab. You've even helped pop stars navigate the relationship landscape that we all battle with. But the true line that I see throughout your life, and you highlight this, and I love the way you put this, is the journey is the destination. I love that framework. Why is that so important? Well, I think as a coach, there's this perception, at least I would, and maybe it's what I believed before I got into coaching that it was all about like goal acquisition and money and results. And I'll help you get here. And when you get here, you will have what I have. It's never resonated with me. And I'm always, I mean, the moment, this moment is, is it. This is what we have. It's the weird thing in life. It's like this moment. And so really being on that journey of this moment is what's most important. You know, nothing really changes when you accomplish something. You know, like I've, I've been a New York Times bestselling author. I've worked with big entertainers. I own a few houses. The reality is like none of that really matters. What matters is how fun the journey is how much passion the journey has, what we learn. And all of our journeys are equal. It's our own version of what that is for ourselves. Mm. We are so outcome driven. And you talk about the optics. Mm. And I, I relate it to like a pair of sunglasses, right? You, you have a rose colored glasses, you're going to see rose, right? And you mm -hmm. have different color, you're going to see different things. One of the things that you really highlight is we should look at the opportunities and the, instead of looking at the obstacles, why is that so important? And how do we do that? Because we're, we're so negatively slanted. We're, we're so almost myopically focused on the obstacle instead of focusing. The obstacle sometimes presents the opportunity. Yeah. Sometimes it's just taking a look at, will this matter a year from now? Mm. Like I'm sitting here talking to you and in my background, it looks like a pinata exploded. I just hung up a new piece of art and I went, holy, oh my God, there's so much color in the background. I just got this one. It came in from Brazil. I love it's it. a woman giving birth and I have art all over my house. I love art. And like I could sit here in the interview and go or this art discussion and feel like I have a giant pinata exploding behind me. Or I could be like, oh, sometimes you can add too much color to something. Or, oh, I get to change it up. Because what happens for some people is the narrative becomes, I'm a bad designer, or I can't put anything together. I mean, there's a million different ways to look at anything. But the reality is, it's how do you make decisions in your life that really matter? So much in life doesn't really matter. And it's not in a jaded way. It's actually a blessing when we realize that, that the things that we perceive as problems or issues today, a lot of them really aren't. And it depends where you grow up and what circumstance you're in and what controlled environments you have around you. But from my experience working with people, the biggest problem is how we're looking at life. And you're right, we get hardwired to believe whatever it is from our childhood that then just shapes into our adult years. And I love giving people a new opportunity to look at life differently, to view themselves differently. You're right, everything can be about looking at life just a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about childhood for a second. So uh, I pride myself on research, but honestly, I didn't do a lot of research on your early days. Uh -huh. And so I'm curious, how did your early days 
inform the adolescent and the young adult you were who you've gone very public with your addiction. And frankly, it's been a, a large, in large part, what has guided your trajectory in your career. Obviously you've had to deal with a lot of this. I mean, what do you think happened early childhood that led you to that? But then more importantly, what happened in childhood that led you to draw a line in the sand and say, that's, that's not who I am. I'm going to turn the corner and do something different with my life. Some background on myself is I grew up in Orange County, California. I'm six foot five. I'm the shortest male in my family, which you can guess we all played basketball. I happen to be very good at basketball. Southern California and was captain of a team ranked top 25 in the nation. And, and to be honest, like in hindsight, it's like if I grew up in a different environment, I probably wouldn't have even played basketball. It was just like, that's what you do. Like in our, based upon where we grow up, it's kind of like, this is what we do. Like, mm -hmm. this is what this family does. This is the family activity. Right, like right. I remember I used to go to like, I grew up Jewish and Lutheran. So we would like celebrate both holidays and we would go to my grandparents' house. And I just remember my parents like fighting in the car and then we would show up and they would act like everything was normal. And like, I'm like, why don't you keep fighting in front of them? If that's I, like the whole, when you're a kid, <laughs> you don't understand so much, right? Like, right, right, totally. And I was kind of a stud in terms of athletics. I was not good in school. I got held back twice. I got held back in kindergarten and the eighth grade at learning disabilities. And around the time that young men start to be attracted to women, it wasn't happening for me. Like I wasn't getting attracted to women. And I just thought, okay, as you, I, you know, you hear about this thing called puberty and as you get older and it just kept not happening for me. Like literally, like I didn't understand why, like I was never had any experiences when I was younger and I just... It was very confusing for me. I literally had no idea what it was. There wasn't internet. I saw one person on TV on the real world who died of AIDS from it, like it being like HIV, not being gay. But then, and then the other was RuPaul. And then I grew up in an athletic environment. And I think that creates a story that for me, I told myself that there was something wrong with me, that I needed to feel ashamed, that I was unlovable, that I needed to keep secrets, and that this was a phase, you know, because I didn't even know what it was. Even in high school, I was naive. I didn't know what it was. Like, mm. there's no discussion around it. In my high school, there was even courses on like how in religion class about making someone be straight who was gay. That was like the first time I was introduced to it in school. And you were graded on it in Catholic school. Mm -hmm. So like... I think for me, I just developed a lot of hate towards myself. I think that's why later in my life, I've been really great in my career. Like I know I'm a really great at helping people because I know what it's like to go through clinical depression. I know what it's like to hate myself. I know what it's like to have anxiety and shame. And I've had to do a lot of work throughout the years. But I also was very creative as a kid. Like I would create a lot of different things. And I eventually started experimenting with drugs. And I don't think like, oh, I just experimented with drugs because I hated myself for, by the way, that was just for being gay part. Then you wrap in like mom and dad, their issues, having no intimacy, <laughs> like whole lot of other stuff going on in my family, like which would be difficult even if you weren't in that mindset. So I did drugs and that was a part of my story. I mean, I did, 
I was a garbage can. Give it to me. I'd do it. I'd party. I was fun. I was always able to hang out in a lot of different environments. And and then I eventually did crystal meth. That led me to psychosis and paranoia that was crazy while I was living in New York. And then I got sober. Eventually, I sought help myself. I've always been kind of a seeker, like, mm-hmm. oh, this doesn't fit right with me. And and then, like, for many years, I, I worked with people who were struggling with crises, psychiatric crises. I went to school. I was a counselor. And then it morphed into suddenly I worked with corporations or working with the Dallas Cowboys or pop stars or corporations. And then I've always been in this place in my career whenever I feel like I've kind of, I don't think it's smart for money. I definitely don't think it's like a smart business plan by me. But whenever I feel like I've kind of maxed out in something, I just completely reinvent what I do. And my reinvention that I thought I was going to get into was uh, helping refugees in Iraq. And so I started going there alone to Kurdistan to open up like their first ever mental health clinics. I thought that was my reinvention. I literally had huge clients, big career. And I was like, no, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. It just, you know, felt. And then I got back to the US and I realized no one cares about Yazidi women, to be blunt. Like people do if they watch a movie or a documentary and, oh my God, that's so tragic. But there's very few humans I've found that are like, passionately wanting to help others unless it serves themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't meet a lot of people who are and who aren't codependent, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So when you hear the stories of what goes on out there, for me, at least, I was like, this. these are my people. I love, I've always been attracted to people who have gone through crap. Then I got back to the US. I couldn't get it on board. I was funding it myself. And then I had this moment where I was like, well, what if I become the brand. I never had motivation to become a public brand ever in my career at all. It wasn't even on my radar. Like I'd be with JLo and she'd take a selfie of the two of us and I didn't even have Instagram. I mean, (laughs) I'm like, like, I wish I had it right. Like I was running around in all these scenes and I'm friends with a lot of these people. And I realized when I got here that I couldn't get people on board with this idea. And so then I realized I needed to become a public brand. And so then all of a sudden attracted or he attracted, I met Dr. Phil two weeks later. He was speaking at a charity event that I threw that happened before concerts because I was trying to make like self-help mainstream and working with some pop stars. And, and we met and then he asked me to come on TV three days later. And then now I've been on like 40 episodes. I'm on episode today, Thursday. He's been a mentor of mine. He's been tremendous. But that's, I'm giving you the like very short, but kind of like meaty part of, I guess, my story. Well, the question I have is, do you still have the turtleneck that you wore on the show when you had the next surgery? Yeah, I still do have that ugly ass turtleneck. Yeah, <laughs> you, gotta bring, I, you, gotta, you gotta bring that out, bro. Yeah, Dr. Phil, so funny because What I love about him is he's so resilient. He's one of the most resilient badasses I've met who are humans. Mm. Like, he's incredible. And so I kind of after, you know, we found out I needed to get disc replacement. And um, three days later, I had to go into surgery. And like after surgery, I don't know what happened. I couldn't stop hiccuping. It was the worst hiccups ever. Like, you know, those hic- I'm talking, it was for like two days of hiccups. And I had neck surgery, a disc replacement. Mm. Robin's gain on the Robin McGraw. Talk about timing. 
they're getting on the phone with me. Like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they're like calling the surgeon. They're amazing. And then I came over, he made me a hamburger like two days later, which I thought was just so sweet. And then he's like, I got an episode for you. And I just throw on a turtleneck. I'm like, I'm going to sit on my ass at home or sit on a studio, you know? (laughs) I love that story, man. And the fact that the attraction that you call it law of attraction or whatever it may be that led you to that relationship. And it's clear to me that he's been a mentor and somebody that has supported you in your career in in numerous ways. I love that you comment on his resiliency because I think human beings are naturally resilient, but some people have like an epic proportion of it. What do you think it is about him? I didn't have any Dr. Phil questions listed in my, my, I'm so so curious because now you you brought it up. What, What is it about his resiliency that stands out and why do you think he has it in such large quantity he knows he can figure it out Mm. he knows he knows he can figure it out whereas a lot of people may feel like they're drowning or may be like who's gonna help me and he's so psychologically sound he's has worked with people for 40 years through every walk of life i mean that is the thing when you help people as a profession is you get so much experience, also gain to know yourself. Sure. He's a brilliant psychologist. He has that mentality of like, I'm going to figure it out. He's got the victor mentality, not the victim mentality, which is, exactly. what you which is what you highlight in your book. So let's talk about your experience as an interventionist. And one thing that stands out to me is obviously you had your own personal background, but you worked for a company and you tell this story about how you, you frankly, you broke the rules. Cause I think the, 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 one of the main rules you're supposed to stick with the family, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And this particular person walked away. What insights did you gain either from that experience? And maybe you could tell that story or just in that role itself. Like what insights did you have about yourself, about your own self-awareness? I'm curious how that helped yeah. you grow. Basically, I didn't. An intervention is when you're helping someone. Typically, it's the last house on the block, depending on who hires me. So, the family or business or corporation or studio will hire me. And I try my best to accomplish the agenda of whoever hires me because they're like, here's my goal. And I'm like, all right, the company I worked for, and you'll find this with interventionists, is they try to, it is about enabling and it is about like letting go. But at the end of the day, everyone's life is easier if this person gets help. Mm -hmm. It's just easier. And I'm very much like, suck it up, dude. Like, (laughs) I'm very like blunt and like, what are we doing? So like, yeah. yeah, So one of the rules was you were not allowed to leave the family because what happens is when you do an intervention, some people run out of the room or they like run down the street or they tell you to F off or they lock themselves in the bathroom and pretend like they're going to hurt themselves or they do hurt themselves. So. You know, it's it's high, highly dramatic. And this one guy could just tell he was having a strong reaction to his family. And sometimes people have reactions to their family where they're not going to do it just because their family wants them to. He's not going to say yes, because he doesn't want to give his family the satisfaction of him saying yes, and it wasn't his own idea. Yeah, I kind of broke the cardinal rule and sat down with a guy in his bedroom. And then he ended up going to treatment and he's still sober today. I remember his name was Bill W, which Bill W is the guy who created right. Outbox Anonymous, which was just funny that that was his name. And even in hindsight, he used to reach out to me every year and tell me he had a year. But the company and the training I had, like, and being trained as a counselor is you were supposed to have like no contact with any mm. previous clients. And, you know, you figure out over time what really works for you and what doesn't. But 
For me, I think it's the problem is this is where I find the challenge for people is at least who are helping others or making decisions. There's a difference between doing what you believe is right and doing what you believe is right and being coachable. And so like, I'm extremely coachable. So like, I'm okay doing something that I feel is right, being wrong, and then coming to the table and be like, look, man, I messed up. Mm -hmm. Like I should have done it differently. The danger is when it becomes all about, I know what's best. But that was a situation where if I would have stayed with the family, I don't think the guy would have got help. You had to make that decision. And ultimately you say in your book, it was the right decision and you stand behind it because to your point, if you didn't do that, the outcome would not have been what it was. So it makes sense. And and I think the other point that you made is that you're not breaking rules for rule breaking sake just to do it. You're doing it because you know that you felt in your gut that was the right thing to do at the time. I want to talk about this buzzword, right? Authentic self. We hear about uh-huh. it all the time. I mean, you you talked about it, frankly, before it was even what it is today, because it's now it's like it's all anybody talks about. Yeah, it I drives think, me crazy. Yeah, I've been this is my, been my jam. <laughs> dude, I'm like, dude. It's been, been my jam for like 15 years. Like, yeah. and it's by the way. It was someone else's GM 15 years before me. Like, I just, I find the challenge with the word is I think we would have a different version of it if there was no social media today. That's right. I think social media has killed the old definition of authenticity. I literally, I just saw someone this last week talking about how the most important thing is to be authentic and people admire this guy so much. And he bought half his followers. Mm. I know he bought half his followers on Instagram and I'm like, Wait, wait, what are you saying? Like, what? Like, it's so confusing. What's real? And I think to me, when I think of authenticity, I mean, look, I'm out there. So I think authenticity is creating your own character. Like, mine's a wizard. You know, he's all over me. Merlin, right? Merlin, right. So, like, my version of authenticity is when we're totally aligned in the moment with who we are. And it's honest. It's there's no negativity in it. It's just honest, right? But I think there's a lot of different versions of it. And to be honest, like I've struggled with it from time to time. I push myself not to be. I think it's, and why I bring up social media and it's interesting to me is because now if you follow someone too much, you then are subscribing to everything they do. And where's you in all of this? And I just think with social media and I just think celebrity It's just not a breeding ground for authentic representations of the world. I think it's really someone figuring out for themselves and taking a step back and looking at like, how do I want to parent? What's true to me? Not what my parents taught me, but like, what's real for me? How do I want to show up in my day-to-day life? How do I want to have my background to a, a Zoom call? What feels good for me? Like you like a freaking light bulb hanging down. (laughs) Big light bulbs, big light bulbs. The cool thing is like you look at our backgrounds, they are greatly different. They don't even look like they're in the same planet, which is great. That's a great thing. And I just think it's how we express ourselves. We're all uniquely different. And I just think that being who we are is the most important thing that I believe we can be. There's only one you, and there will only ever be one you, and there only ever has been one you. One of the things that you talk about, which ties really nicely into this, is this idea of getting in touch with your anti-self, which I don't hear a lot about that. Talk a little bit about why that is something that you talk about and why you think it's important. Yeah, so 
basically I, with best self, anti-self, it kind of is what I found and Dr. Phil has helped me with this is that you want to find metaphors that people can understand pretty easily as a way of communicating, especially when you're going to a bigger audience. And what I did with clients for years was developing who their best self was and their anti-self. So the anti-self is that part of you that's keeping you from living the life you want. And any situation that's a challenge for We all know there's different things that we get triggered in. Some people, it's walking into an important business meeting. Other people, it's being around other parents. Sometimes it's a conversation with a husband or wife. But it's really identifying what is that part of us that's not authentically who we are, and we create a character. So everyone I have or I work with creates what I call the anti-self which is some people would say it's the shadow self. I think when you can add a little humor to what normally would be uncomfortable or painful, I find that people seem to have more fun with working on themselves. If I say to someone, you know, you're being defensive or get out, whatever, some annoyed version and somebody responds and goes, you know, hey, is that your tiny dancer jumping out right now and (laughs) talking to me? People laugh and you can kind of dispel the moment. And it's just like a tool for like having fun and working on self. I love that because it gives an identity and it's kind of like the the whole, you also reference, and this is sort of an analogy. It's like the idea of having a rigid versus an open mind. And you say, it's like, think of like a palm tree in a storm. It gives a little bit more clarity to the topics that you're talking about. So I kind of give a broad viewpoint of it, but can you talk about the palm tree and and the open mind and how those two tie together? You're right. Like, I mean, it's anything. And like, what's most stressful in your life right now? Stressful in my life is managing, obviously, everything that I have going on. So just, I have two businesses that I'm starting. So just managing it all and being a good dad on top of that. I think it's like most people, it's time, getting time. But like with those two businesses, what's the the biggest challenge? Well, one, we're launching. So I'd say the challenge is making sure that we're able to serve everyone in the way in which the, the, I'm like you, right? I know you, when you started your podcast, you want everything to be perfect. Like I want everything to be perfect. I don't want to make a mistake and I want to make sure that the service that I'm delivering exceeds expectations. So I think for me, I'm always a go big or go home type of person and because of that, I have a habit of like trying to do everything and trying to make it over the top. And so that's, I think, a, a, an ongoing challenge in my own life is I have to remember, like sometimes keeping things simple is the right answer. And so yeah. I think if you, if you layer on too much and try to do too much and try to make things too perfect, it could have unintended consequences. So for me, I'd say just making sure I keep things simple. Got it. Keep you in simple. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm with you. Sometimes I can I can get really worked up about making something perfect or making it too precious when really it may not matter. But I think to that point, like that's where it's either having like rigid or a right fighting at it has to be this way. Like the podcast has to be this way. Mm-hmm. I had some of that with my own, and then all of a sudden COVID hit. And if you don't <laughs> get a little more relaxed about it. What are you going to do? At a certain point, I had to accept that I'm not going to be sitting down with people in my home uh, that I built a podcast room, but it's just not going to happen. And, you know, I had to form what I call a more relaxed mindset because if I'm being too rigid, rigidity and right fighting just leads to like, like the hell if I know what all the answers are. 
know, it's mm. kind of a relief when you realize you don't know all the answers. Similar to when a storm comes through, and if a storm comes through, a palm tree is relaxed, it can bend. And you can have these trees with roots in the ground, and all of a sudden they topple, even though they've been standing for 100 years, right? I love metaphors. I feel like life is full of metaphors everywhere. And so I just love kind of that approach. I find that parents struggle with uh, rigidity often, and then they'll beat themselves up. They'll be like, this is the right way to parent. Or the two spouses who grew up in two, two completely different families with two different ideas of parenting will approach a situation different. And if both are being rigid, there's going to be a lot of conflict. You know, there's got to be more of a relaxed mindset with parenting. Otherwise, the kid's just going to suffer. Oh, man. That's music to my ears. Sometimes I, I, I wonder if I've swung the pendulum too far because I, I try to be a relaxed parent. But, you know, in reading your book, I, I realized that there are times where I let my own immediate anger or frustration shine through when I should just take a, a moment, take a beat, and then just like breathe, right? We, we, yeah. we took some breaths before, before this uh, conversation. And oftentimes, I think it's that pause button, the, the breathing that helps to make sure that we're not intentionally, but make sure we're not saying or doing things that they're, when they're so young, when like my, I told you my son's eight, they're so impressionable. Every little thing we say, it matters. It, the way we say it, the tone, the context, every, and what, where, where it's coming into the conversation, like all these different things layer upon each other. And one of the, the things that your book helped remind me is to, even though I'm a, I'm a relaxed parent, like we're very relaxed in a lot of ways, sometimes I come in guns blazing because I get frustrated and all worked up about something that doesn't need to be. It's like, yeah. it doesn't really matter when it's all said and done. I love your, your, you said one year, but you say in the book, like five years, like, is this the question you got to ask yourself? Is this really going to matter? Five uh, years I, to, I mean, look, I still do it today. You know, someone, I went on Dennis Miller's podcast and he said mm-hmm. to me right off the bat, he's like, so why are you? Why why are you the guy that so many people worked with? I'm like the hell if I know. Some of these people have more put together <laughs> lives than mine. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're yeah. all trying. We're all trying our best. And the great thing is when we're willing to have self awareness. Like mm-hmm. when we're willing to be a better parent or a better friend or to think about something differently. It, we're already all everyone so hard on themselves. Sometimes, at least I find it's easier, like even talking to you and it's like, oh yeah, I do that same thing. All of a sudden it feels a lot, a little less alone or a little less shaming. That's what I try to accomplish is help people realize what they're feeling, even though when they're feeling alone, we all get it. Everybody does. And everybody's got the nooks and crannies of their garage that they're afraid to share, right? That is kind of like the secret. And some secrets are real big secrets and some secrets are just made up. And it all comes back to the stories that you're telling yourself about why you shouldn't say this or shouldn't do this or shouldn't share this. And it's like, and nothing, you know, nothing's wrong with having your, you know, your personal life and all that. And nobody's saying you got to put everything out in there in the universe. But I do think as we live our life with purpose and want to talk about purpose in a moment, but as we live, live our life with purpose, it should be rooted in us being comfortable with being who we are and not trying to be something for someone else. And I think that's, it happens because we're all, no matter what your childhood is, were raised with some belief system that forms about who we are meant to be. And it's almost always who we are meant to be for other people. And I think the minute we shed that and remember that like we got to be who we need to be for us, 
in a much more positive and powerful place of, of being. Mm. You talk about the two polarizing sides of purpose. You say there's confused purpose and clarified purpose. Maybe share a little bit about what those two ends of the spectrum are and how we and I'll clarify. use some of my own story so that maybe then I'm an example of at different times or instead of I always like in every story I put in one decision is a real story. I pride myself on real stories. I pride myself on not a what if or what could be because everyone's uniquely different. And even in the book, I met all these random strangers off Facebook. And those were a lot of my stories is I had people showing up at my house and I had 45 minutes to help them make a decision in their life. I didn't want to make up some story. It's easy to do, but that's my own preciousness of my art, right? But you know, this is a really good one for people. It's It's confusion versus clarified purpose. So when we feel confused, So I feel confused why, let's say, I'm at this party or this dinner or whatever. I need to realize my purpose is to show up for my friend. My purpose is to show up and make business contacts. If With the podcast, I got really confused about what's my purpose having a podcast. You know, I can't do it in person anymore. I Now I'm doing it over Zoom. It feels like I'm doing radio phoners. No, my purpose... (laughs) My purpose is to help others. My purpose is to shed light on different things that people are going through and so that I can help them improve their life. And when I'm aligned with my purpose, I feel better, I'm more creative, and I'm more myself. And I think that we often have to redefine our purpose as the world around us changes. But with any problem where we feel confused, it's so helpful to go, all right, what is my purpose doing this? Because when we're able to do that, we can make decisions that line up with it. When I get confused why, God, my career, you know, I've, I've been doing all this television. It feels so narcissistic. I'm like, a me, 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 me. And then I have to remind myself, well, my purpose is so I can do cool things around the world. Like, I would love to go to a favela in Brazil and, like, do some really cool stuff and have the respect. We're in a culture and society right now where the bigger your profile is, the more opportunity you could get doing what you want to do. So I think it's just anytime I now feel confused, I have to literally quickly hack it and go, all right, well, what's my purpose? And when we clarify it, it, everything clears up. It's no longer confusing. What's the evolution of your purpose? If you were to look back, how has it evolved, say, from each of the different journeys that you've been on? How have you found that it's crystallized or, or morphed in throughout that process? Yeah, well, it used to be my purpose was saving lives, which was in the moment, like somebody being suicidal or and and in a really dark period. I did that for many years. Uh, addiction is a dark, dark. There's levels, right? Like there's levels to where someone is in their life and how they're feeling. And we go up and down a scale. We all do this. Some we lose someone, we go back down the scale. Mm-hmm. We would get something good, we go back up the scale. So. My purpose kind of has always been along the tagline of freedom to be your best self. So I like freeing people to be or create an opportunity where they can be a better version of themselves. I think that it's just the now I get to do it in a mainstream way. Like I have an empowerment group every Tuesday and I do it for free. You know, a lot of the stuff I do that I love in my life, I don't get paid for. I think there's this confusion that your purpose means you're getting paid. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, that's not where it's at. And I want to write a kid's book, like the wizard who couldn't cast a spell. And like my purpose would be to like make kids feel cool, even when they feel different. Like I find that like our purpose evolves because we evolve, we learn more. And some people can stick to a certain type of purpose, but purpose, there's so many different purposes in life. You know, like everything kind of has a purpose or, or maybe I'll play Magic the Gathering for an hour and check out and play video games. The purpose is because I don't want to think. That's literally, right. you know what I mean? That's so right. it's just like, to me, it's the phase I'm in now. I was thinking I wanted to maybe write my next book about helping free people from resentments because I know how to do that. And I feel mm-hmm. like in nine months or so, people are going to be really resentful when they realize the world will change around you, but you're still yourself. You know, you can't blame at a certain point. You know, so all of a sudden, my purpose will be helping people get through resentments and anger and internalized anger. That's the greatest thing about life is it's infinite. And we all have so much depth to each of us. We have so many avenues, directions, creativity. And I think it's just sometimes when it's not working, that's the majority of time because that's when you're creating something in life, it's not going to work. There's so many things you have to work out. And I find with a lot of people I work with, they give up and start to create a narrative that they're not good enough or didn't work out, or they compare themselves to other people or other projects. As long as you're doing you and it lines up with who you are, you're good. Well, it's kind of like you talk about this emotional-based reasoning versus mm-hmm. evidence-based reasoning, which as a human being, we're emotional creatures, just naturally. We, we are emotional mm-hmm. beings. And as the, so I think our tendency is to try and like sort of back up with the story that we're telling ourselves, this emotional story that we're telling ourselves. And often that leads us to kind of having these negative fleeting thoughts. And this is the way you describe it. Why should we be looking at maybe more rational way of thinking, more evidence-based reasoning. Feelings aren't facts. Mm. And I feel like it's dangerous. If feelings were facts, I would still be getting high, right? Like, and not looking around the world. Like, and for anyone, if it doesn't feel good, so what? What, you think everything in life is going to feel good? Mm. It's not how life works. That's not how business works. That's not how relationships work. That's not how like anything works. The key is to be able to know authentically for yourself what self-regulates you, what gets you in the place or peace of mind so that you're making decisions that are true to you. So you're able, if you're feeling extremely emotionally dysregulated or that just doesn't feel right. All right, take a step back and let's explore why doesn't it feel right? Because sometimes things don't feel right because they remind us of our dad. They're not about that person we're in the meeting with. Mm. Like we can get so clouded by our past trying to inform us that we're going to be protecting ourselves when the facts are we have nothing to be afraid of. And I just think it's such a helpful tool. Because I'm an emotional dude. My emotions just are all over. I feel, I'm like, <laughs> it's just how I am. I don't know. It's just like how I'm made up and everyone's different. And, you know, like 
that's why meditation exists. That's why gratitude lists exist. That's why getting out of self exists. If we always went by feelings, that's when I think people self-sabotage. They destroy opportunity. And I just think it's a really helpful, it's really healthy to get out of feelings. And, and it's also helpful to know to know yourself. You are an emotional person. Like I've only just met you. I could feel your emotion. I could mm. feel that without having hours and hours of conversations with you. You know, yes, I've read your books, but I I feel a connection to you because of that emotion and because you've managed to understand yourself and know yourself in such a way that you can speak so freely and openly and honestly without the inhibition and the and the wall that most people surround themselves with. I'm sure that's very liberating, but it's also probably at, at some times can be challenging as well, right? I mean, like anything. And with that, you do something that I do as well, is you have you have a team around you. You have a decision team around you, man. And I as I was reading that part of your book, you know, I know Dr. Phil is is somebody who's special to you. I'm curious the decision team that you've built for yourself. You highlight a bunch of different types of people, which I think is smart, but curious what is your approach to building out a team of people to help you with the decision-making process because it's it's can be, often be very emotional. Yeah, and and the reason why I that my style of writing is like a workbook is from my experience, if I write from a place of just inspiring people, it's like a great movie that someone's inspired by, mm -hmm. but they're not, and they're leaving with a part of them that's like, oh, I love that movie. Working with as a coach, it's just like, I need someone, at least one aspect of their life where they're like, I'm going to implement this. I can do that. So I really like, I've realized that my own way of writing is very much like, where they do someone would do exercises because that's what I would do working with someone. Now, one of those that I, I find is it's always helpful to assess and look around the people around us. And, you know, it, it always changes, but just somehow do an assessment of like, who do I go to with business? And who do I go to with parenting advice? And who do I go to when I need emotional support? And, who do I go to when I'm just feeling, God, I just feel freaking off. Like, I just feel off. Just by kind of helping someone explore who are those people and suggesting different roles, I find that for a lot of people, it helps them realize that, eh, maybe I don't need to go to mom when I'm feeling this type of way. You know, we realize that later in life when we realize don't bring this to our parents. I'm trying to help people realize at an earlier phase that they don't have to. And so, yeah, I mean, like Dr. Phil, like I'm thinking of launching a, a certification program for coaches this year. And like, I would go to Dr. Phil and be like, hey, what do you think of that? Like, this is what I'm thinking. Or we have a mutual friend, Lisa. I go to Lisa a lot where like, she's a great asset. And just really just formulating who it is in your life. Do you have a mentor? A mentor doesn't need to be like what they describe in these like, artificial like i have a ton of mentors in my life a mentor to me is anyone that's teaching me something or that i can learn from it's not like so established i do have a guy that i speak to every sunday and when you help other people they're also helping you by you helping them there's a connection that happens identifying the different people in your life to make decisions really helps crystallize and has us go because we we'll, we sometimes just go the same people but we don't realize like, aha, 
I do remember meeting that one woman who I really hit it off with and have chemistry with. And she did give me advice before on a diet and I want to learn more. That may make more sense instead of going to your freaking doctor. What we do as human beings is sometimes we go back to the same people for things that they really shouldn't be providing advice on. So like just as important to find the right people is to not go to the wrong people. When I interviewed David Meltzer, he says, I had to stop taking advice from my family. Like they were mm. telling me that I had to do this and that. And as people, we, we tend to gravitate to people that make us most comfortable, but oftentimes they're going to give us bad advice. So I think that's something to kind of end with the decision team to think about. We can't just pick a narrow group of people, go back to them over and over again and think that they're the right person for providing advice in this specific area. And so I think the thing that you're, you've highlighted is if it's a finance question, if it's a business question, if it's a fitness question, which I loved listening to your recent show because you know not only were you talking about corn nuts, your guest was talking about the importance of diet. And it's like, yeah, all bets are off. If you don't have the right diet to begin with, you could you can't exercise yourself to to you know, lose the weight. You know, you got to have the diet first. And I, I found firsthand. I mean, I've gained like I put on my COVID nineteen, but before that, I'd lost forty pounds to get to a, a reasonable weight, largely, almost entirely because of diet. We are constantly faced. We make so many choices throughout the day. We make so many decisions throughout our lives, and sometimes one decision can change everything. Mm-hmm. And your book illustrates just how important and true that is. And so for the audience listening, and by the way, I could talk to you forever, man. So, but I want to be respectful of your time. So, so I'm going to, I feel like, you know, there's just, there's a, a definitely a connection. I feel, I feel uh, so much just through um, listening to you on this, during this conversation and, and learning from you. I'm grateful that, that you've been able to share your own journey and to share it so openly and organically for those that want to find more of you, I know that your website is coachmikebayer.com, B-A-Y-E-R.com. Your podcast is always evolving with Coach Mike Bayer and your books that just came out, One Decision, exactly what I just said is what you can get. Anyone that wants to make sure that the decisions that you're making in your life are the right decisions and to get you on track to become your best self, get that book. It just came out last week. In addition, your other book, Best Self, came out, you're on a roll, came out last year, as well as the book to accompany that, Be Your Best Self, came out last year, in 2019. Yeah, so yeah, any uh, com is everything, and Coach Mike Bear for all social media handles and a lot of cool stuff, and I appreciate getting to know you more, and I also enjoyed talking to you and have a lot of questions for you, you know, about your life and stuff. And we'll stay in touch. Maybe we'll collaborate on something, you know, sometime in the future and keep the insights going. I'd love that, my friend. And I would love to have the opportunity to collab and work on more things with you. And with that, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. 
You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.